So Money episode 1098, Suzanne Summers. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I got fired from Three's Company. Not many people know that, but I got fired because when I signed on for that show, I just signed on the dotted line. I was so happy to get a gig, and I had never had uh, an opportunity to be what turned out to be the number one show in America. And I didn't know when I signed on the dotted line that I would have the highest awareness in terms of my demographics as a female, that I was able to garner what they were paying the men. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Monday, September 21st, 2020. What a Monday. Heading over to Live with Kelly and Ryan today to share some advice on how to save at the grocery store. Yes, the very exciting grocery store where I'm spending way too much time these days. It's kind of the only place I go (laughs) besides my house. Uh, So catch me there. If you don't, I'll be posting it on Instagram later. And as promised, we have a national treasure on the show today. If you, like me, were obsessed with Three's Company, well, this is a gift to you. We have the one and only Suzanne Summers here, who is not just a renowned actress and performer, but she is a multi, multi bestselling New York Times bestselling author. She is an entrepreneur who has many, many, many incredible stories stories to share, stories filled with life lessons. And you just heard her talk about the behind the scenes of that hit 1980s show, Three's Company. You may have noticed Suzanne was no longer on the show after a few seasons, and she's here on the show telling her side of the story, why she got fired over her negotiations. Her latest book is called New Way to Age. It is now in paperback, and it presents a revolutionary philosophy for a longer and better quality life with easy to understand lessons and doctor interviews. Suzanne is 73 years young. And in the current chapter of her life, she is a leading voice on anti-aging. I took a lot of notes and I think you will too. Here's Suzanne Summers. Suzanne Summers, welcome to So Money. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. Interesting name for your show. How'd you choose that? Well, it's kind of a pop culture reference, you know, in that classic movie Swingers, there's a line that where the guy goes, you're so money, you don't even know it. And it became kind of this cultural reference, this catchphrase, being so money is sort of saying, you know, you're with it, you're cool, you, um, it's optimistic, it's uh, positive, and I wanted to make money positive. And here we are with one of the most positive people on the planet, speaking of positive, Suzanne Summers. A New Way to Age is your latest book. It's now in paperback. Congrats. And I got to ask you, Suzanne, first question is, given the world that we live in today, I'm curious if this has changed your mind or in some ways reinforced some of the things that you attributed to living a quality, healthy life. Well, you know, I've written 27 books and I never plan a book. That's what's been so interesting about this new chapter of my life, even though 
I started writing books because I was on the road doing nightclubs, nightclub performer. Loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I mean, imagine getting dressed up every night in eight or nine beautiful concoctions and having my own band and going out on stage to an audience that uh, loves me because they weren't forced. They went out and bought a ticket and came and got dressed up and showed up. And um, so that was just such a wonderful thing that I, that I've already said to my husband one night walking, I had my own showroom at the Westgate in Vegas, a couple of, I guess it's been a couple of years that we shut that room down, but I'm walking down the hall one night after the show, just these great shows. And I said, I want to be doing this when I'm 80. And then I thought, I saw myself at 80 years old. And I know from what I'm watching is that I'm aging in a way that I never imagined. Well, why is that? I'm aging in a way that I never imagined because of the choices I made in this chapter of my life. And we determine our outcome, good and bad. We, de we determine everything by the choices we make. I take my food choices very seriously. When it comes to meat, I got to know what that cow, lamb was eating. Because what they're eating now is what I'm eating. And that's one of the choices that I've made for my body. And this chapter for me is about getting on stage at 80 with the full vigor and my ability to do my dumb dances that I do on stage that are not choreographed. They are, they come from my soul, from my spirit. I'm just so fascinated by all of this. You know, I'm 40 uh -huh. and I want to feel like you now. Uh -huh. <laughs> Was there a moment in your adult life when you, I mean, you've always appeared to be a healthy woman to me. Right someone that I watched on television, was there a moment when you realized I really want to supercharge my health? I want to take things more seriously. What was that moment? Getting cancer. Cancer was my, my veiled gift. I always say the, the negatives in life are opportunities. And so when you hear those three words, you have cancer. It's like getting cold cocked. And I remember the first time I heard it, Hear what I just said. The first time I heard it, I thought, what have I done in my diet and lifestyle that has allowed me to allow this to invade my body and it wants to take my life? It's not life affirming. And so I went over in my mind, what have I done? I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I was making the right choices, but I wasn't. It's like all, like all of us are before you have an awakening. And I, I was eating food that I wasn't taking organic seriously at all. I wasn't eating tons of sugar and cakes and cookies and pies and things like that. That wasn't what it was. I figured because I wasn't gulping down those foods that I was on the right track. But I wasn't eating life-affirming foods. I was eating foods that were kind of right, but not right, not in today's world. And so I, I stepped back 10 feet and I looked at my choices and we make choices all day long, good or bad, all day long. We don't even realize it. I was eating food that 
was sprayed with poison, like I was talking about, that, uh, oh, it's okay to eat food that's not organic. It's fine. Fine isn't fine anymore. Fine was fine when I was a little girl. Fine was fine when my mother would bring home food from the butchers. We didn't have organic food when I was a kid because no one ever thought it was a good idea to spray poison on our food at that time. Right. Nothing was engineered like it is today, fake food. When the talk of the times now is eating quality food, why would we want to eat food that's genetically modified, that has been messed with, that's been played with, that's been fiddled with? And so I decided to change my life. I decided not to take chemotherapy. I took radiation, which is a a choice I wouldn't make today because chemotherapy, well, I don't know. And there are a lot of people listening who have survived chemotherapy, but not most people. Most people uh, do okay, and then eventually it gets them in another way. I was interviewing a doctor, a renowned uh, neuroscientist, Dr. Russell Blaylock, incredible person. He said, chemotherapy gets into the DNA of every cell in your body. I said, explain what you mean. He said, when when your cells have been altered and what you and I are, are about 40 to 60 trillion cells, that's that's all we are. And our all cells communicate with one another. Then you start messing with your cell health. And that was interesting because that came up in almost every interview I did for this book, A New Way to Age. It takes a long time for this information to roll up to be relevant. Mm -hmm. You talk about making your own choices and how nothing is accidental so much as we think. So shifting gears then from health to your career, Okay. one could look at your career and say, Suzanne, brilliant choices. Whether you're looking at your show that you just discussed in Vegas to things like The Thigh Master, even your career as an author. As this is a financial show, the audience and I were really curious about what determines success. What are those choices? And um, I was reading in an article when you were presented with the idea, the concept of Thigh Master. Okay. It ended up becoming something totally different. You signed on, but ended up leading the marketing, the branding. You even Correct. changed the name. It was initially called the V-Toner. Correct. <laughs> what was it about that particular product that made you think it would become so successful? I mean, even to this day, millions and millions in sales. Well, here we go again. I got fired from Three's Company. Not many people know that, but I got fired because when I signed on for that show, I just signed on the dotted line. I was so happy to get a gig, and I had never had uh, an opportunity to be what turned out to be the number one show in America. And I didn't know when I signed on the dotted line that I would have the highest awareness in terms of my demographics as a female, that I was able to garner what they were paying the men. I looked around and the men were all being paid 10 to 15 times more than me, including my co-star. And it wasn't right. But now my contract's up and I'm not being greedy like they portrayed me to be. It was just, you have a contract, they expire. And so here was my time to renegotiate. So I went in 
and said, I want to be paid what you're paying the men. What people did understand was that Laverne and Shirley, which was a colossal hit like Police Company, but not as colossal as Police Company, they had their contracts expired and they had recently gone in and uh, gave ABC, as I call it, a colonic. And (laughs) I thought, okay, they paid Laverne and Shirley. So um, Joyce DeWitt and John Ritter had already renegotiated because they had been on the show contractually before me. We all went on at the same time because it didn't work with the two females that played Chrissy Snow before me. They they only played it in a pilot and they didn't test well. So at the last minute, they had to go find a new Chrissy Snow. Guess who it was? It was me. And there I was thinking, oh, wow, dumb blondes. Everybody hates dumb blondes. They're so irritating. Uh, how do I make a dumb blonde lovable, likable? What what would make you tune in to want to see a character that is, is so hard to pull off? And I did. I gave her a heart and a soul and a moral code and what she would and wouldn't do to the point where the audience would laugh before <laughs> my character would do it because they knew her so well. And they'd think, oh, Christy Snow would never do that. Mm-hmm. So that was the first negative that turned into a positive. That's what brought the public's thinking to the fact they really liked this character. There's something about her. They didn't know why. And I was starting to figure out why. So I go in to renegotiate. And when my husband walks in as my, you know, emissary, he I'm waiting at home. There were no cell phones at the time. Remember, there was a time when cell phones did not run the world, which they really do run the world now. And I'm waiting at home and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, three hours just seemed like an eternity. And I lived at that time in a multi-level beach house. And I hear the front door open. There's a way the front door opens when it's good news. And there's a way it opens when it's bad news. Yeah. It was clearly bad news because that door opens real slow and then closed real slow. And then I hear him paddling up the stairs. Again, there's a a way that walking up the stairs is good news. And when you're listening to it, when you know it's bad news. Met him at the second level and he looks at me and I see his face is just devastated. And he said, you're out. I said, what do you mean I'm out? He said, you're out. You're out. You're fired. I said, fired? It was a negotiation. He said, you were fired before I even walked into the lawyer's office. They had planned it. And we had heard it the night before from the CFO's office at ABC. A friend of a friend called my husband and said, uh, you didn't hear this from me, but you're going to hang a nun in the marketplace. And it's going to be Suzanne. And so that's what they did. And then in order to get paid for the rest of the season, they, you know, the good old boys club, they had to humiliate me. I had to, in order to get paid, uh, show up every week, but they would have a guard meet me at the back gate of the studio, walk me into a kind of new dressing room, which was nothing like it had been. I didn't have a pretty set and I didn't have good lights. I just had a wing chair, a pole lamp, and uh, what else? That was about it. And I'd get on the phone and this was my script every week. No, she's still sick. Yeah, I miss you too. Well, I hope... Okay, I love you too. Bye. And that was what I did every week. And I would leave crying. And it was so unfair. And that's when I learned that lesson. Life's unfair. Okay? How can I make this work for me? 
And my husband had said that when he said, you're out. He grabbed me by the shoulders, grabbed, gently took me by the shoulders. And he said, we're going to make this work for you. And so in making this work for me, I sat in that same living room where I didn't have a cell phone on that gray, overcast uh, ocean day. And I heard a voice. And the voice said, why are you looking at what you don't have? Why don't you focus on what you do have? And I kept saying, what do I have? And one day the voice said, you have an enormous visibility. Everybody in America and in most parts of the world knows your name. And I sat there and I thought, yeah, what can I do with that? How can I make that work for me? Everybody knows my name. And that's when I realized, wow, that's that's valuable. And so I said to my husband, I'd like to do a Vegas act. And he said, can you sing? He was joking. <laughs> I, had, I had used the three something years to, oh, gosh, what fun I had. Yeah. You know, I was the last person. John Wayne, you probably don't even know who that is, but John Wayne was like, the biggest movie star in the world. And um, he had a walk that everybody recognized. So I, and I worked with Sammy Davis Jr. I worked with Frank Sinatra. These are all people of that era, but I worked with all of them. I, I worked with Don Rickles. We would go to Sinatra's dressing room on Sunday nights when his show would close. It was like when his show would close, it was like the lights went off in Vegas. And he would invite all the headliners from up and down the strip to come to his dressing room. And I would sit there with Rodney Dangerfield and Shirley MacLaine. And- this is so good. I mean, I could hear you talk for hours. And what I think you're really telling me in a nutshell is that you leveraged your star power. Yeah. And you think about women in Hollywood in your era yeah. who were able to parlay their celebrity into entrepreneurship. You think of Jane Fonda. You were a a trailblazer, Suzanne. And if you may indulge me just a little bit, I'd love a story about those auditioning years in Hollywood as a woman in the 60s, the 70s. Was having your husband, Al, as your business partner, a shield for you, a protection for you in some ways? Because I can't even imagine the way that women were taken advantage of then and still today, but especially then. What was your experience? Was it mostly positive? Well, nothing more potent or powerful than a, uh, an incredible team. And we realized working for other people, ABC, Freeze Company, not owning a piece of the show, they didn't want me to brand Chrissy Snow. I went to them years before I was off the show and I said, her clothes are so popular. We could, we could make a fortune together from clip-on ponytails, from uh, hot pants to suspenders to a makeup line. She had a, a definitive makeup that I made up, which was, you know, dark eyes, the, the black eyes and the long black eyelashes and big pink cheeks and pink lips. And it was a look. And on Friday nights when we would take the show, we'd go out there. Third of the show would have been uh, little girls dressed up like Chrissy Snow. And I would say this to the producers. And I remember one one day, the one producer screaming, he said, this is not a show about fashion. This is a, about the show. And I'm thinking it's called show business. And so I was working with a team that I think they, this is crazy, were jealous of the fact that 
I was usurping John Ritter in popularity, and they had already decided that John Ritter was the star of the show. So if we decided that John Ritter is the star of the show, then you can't be star of the show. So that's when Alan and I realized from here on in, we will never work for anyone ever again. We will work together for with each other for each other. And that was the best decision we ever made. We get along amazingly. I don't remember the last time we had any kind of arguments or crosswords or harsh tones or anything. Uh, I am supposed to be married to Alan Hamill. I knew it the day I met him. I've been with him now 55 years. It's true love. I wanted to ask you about this partnership, a harmonious partnership in love and business. It's rare. What was it that when you saw him, you knew? I mean, can you could you teach us all something here? <laughs> I knew. I don't know if everyone knows. And he was my second husband. I was married at 17, good Catholic girl. When I grew up, nobody ever got a divorce. I didn't know anybody who had been divorced. I couldn't stay married to him. I, I was pregnant. And when you're 17, you have to get married. That's what they used to say. She had to get married. That was the big whispered awfulness. I had this darling little baby boy. I remember the first words I said to him when they pulled him from my body. Unbeknownst to me, the words that came out of my mouth were, I promise I'm going to make a good life for you. And I did. I somehow figured out how to feed us and clothe us. And I did not get any child support or alimony or any of those things. I don't even know what they are. That was unfair too. Again, life is not fair. So anybody listening to this that feels, you know, they've gotten a raw deal in life. No, you haven't. You've gotten the greatest opportunities. All the negatives in life are your opportunities. And the every time I get cold cocked with another one of these things, I think to myself, what am I supposed to learn this time? So getting fired was this incredible opportunity because now I'm working as a headliner in Vegas and wow, what a success. We were selling out two big showrooms every night at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. That at that time was the biggest room in Vegas. And they came and they lined up and they loved it. And I realized the other thing that's really important, really important in life and in business is tell the truth. Tell the truth. I go out on stage. I didn't have a writer. I didn't hire any comedy writers. I didn't hire anybody other than musical directors because, you know, you need some help sometimes. I just told stories that emanated from my thoughts while I might call somebody up from the audience and we'd have a repartee and I'd ask him, it was usually a him, questions that seemed pertinent to how that person looked or acted or felt or nervous or whatever. Are you nervous? Why are you nervous? Am I scary? Am I going to bite you? And then the audience would laugh and, you know, it, you follow that flow. And that worked for me positively. And then one day we get a call about this V-toner thing. And I was in really good shape because I'm dancing I did two years at the MGM Grand, and then I, I got so skinny that I had to stop <laughs> doing a show that was so strenuous, but this V-toner person, lady, shows up at our house and calls it a V-toner. What does it do? Well, it's for the inner thighs, and it's for the upper body, and it's 
for your, uh, you know, your arms and your shoulders and your pectorals and all that. My husband and I had our kind of pseudo argument of, we both knew right away, V-toner is not a good name. And uh, she was really pushing for the upper body, for the upper arms, for the biceps, for the pectorals. And I'm going, what about the inner thighs? She goes, well, yeah, it's great for the inner thighs, but women are more interested in their arms. I go, no, they're not. No, they're not. And so it was my husband and I who named it the Thigh Master. And so here's how the Thigh Master commercial works. Sort of a negative that turned into a positive. There's a theme. As I'm talking to you, I realize I'm revealing a theme that uh, I didn't plan. The I bought a pair of Manolo Blahnik perfectly plain nude shoes. They had the perfect pointy toe. They had the perfect amount of toe cleavage. They had the right arch, because Manolo Bonnick was an engineer, and they had, I think it was a four and a half inch heel, maybe a five inch heel. And, um, but they were $565. And I'm standing in my dressing room in my bra and bikini underpants. And I'm looking in the mirror and I thought, oh, my husband's going to think I'm so stupid for buying a pair of perfectly plain nude shoes that are almost $600. Oh, my God. And so I walk out in my bra and underpants and the Manola Blahnik shoes, and I said to my husband, how do you like my new shoes? <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he said, great legs. And I went, oh, my God. That's the commercial. He goes, what? And I said, you... You sit in a chair just like you are, and I walk out in not my bra and underpants, but something pretty sexy, underwear looking like-ish, kind of, and you say great legs. Well, that became the commercial, although he chose not to be in it. He was just the voice off camera. And I walk out in my blue leotard, not so sexy, not by today's standard at all. I had no jewelry at all. But I had on those shoes, and I showed by sitting down how you could use the thigh master. But the main thrust of the commercial was, you wear these shoes. Your legs are going to look so great that everybody's going to want, you know, legs like this. And so the commercial, if you remember, was that voiceover off-camera. I'm standing there in those shoes, those exact shoes, $565, and Alan's voice off camera. The blue leotard is cut real high on the thigh, which at that time they weren't doing. Now it's no big deal, but it, at that time they weren't doing it. And you hear off camera Alan Hamill going great legs with that sexy voice. You know, he was one of the leading television personalities in uh, Canada and also uh, radio. He had the radio voice. We sold, at last count, 10 million thigh masters. Make that 10 million in one. I'm desperate for some thigh mastering yeah. in this uh, pandemic. Can I ask one question, Suzanne? Yeah. And then I promise I'll let you go after this because you've 
uh, been so generous with your time. You know, you mentioned the importance of telling the truth and I completely agree. It's a simple piece of advice, but we often feel afraid or unsure about telling the truth. But back to when you were let go from Three's company, you had shared, um, I had read that you shared that the network had perhaps been not clear about why you parted ways. They hadn't been clear to the cast about why you parted ways and that caused hostility. And you never told your story then. You never revealed your truth, at least not publicly back then about what happened. And I wonder, do you regret that? I didn't realize the public didn't realize it. And I was embarrassed. They're saying I'm greedy. And I'm going, no, I'm not. No, I'm I'm not greedy. I'm just asking for what I deserve. And so clearly I had more work to do on my self-esteem to be able to publicly say my talent on this show is worth every bit as much as any man on television. It wasn't even a feminist thing. I'd love to say I was so far ahead of the game that it was about feminism. I'm actually not a feminist. It was about how many tickets did I sell? I sold as many or more tickets than any of the men on television. So why are they making 10 to 15 times more than me? And that, because not one woman backed me up. Not one. Now, maybe they were afraid that if they went out and said, I think it's terrible what they've done to Suzanne Summers, but um, not one woman in television at that time came to my defense. I lost out because of that. But I was embarrassed that I took a shot and lost. And uh, today that would not have happened. And today I think the outcome would have been very different. So uh, the question is, do I regret it? Um, No, no, I don't regret it because it forced me to reinvent again. It forced me to look at life in a different way. The way I look at life now is we are a series of chapters. And the chapter I'm in right now is the choices that I make and that every choice counts. And don't try to not pay attention to that. I'm 73. I've decided to make 73 the age that women who are 40, as you are, want to be. Why not? Why wouldn't you want to be me? I want to be on stage when I'm 80. I've learned how to work from home because I write books. You know, when I finished my 27th book last year, I, you know, I know that feeling when you put the pen down and you sit back in your chair and you go, did it again. Okay. And I said to my husband that day, I came down for dinner and I said, another bestseller. He goes, yeah. I go, yeah, absolutely. And then the way I always do with all my books is I read them to him. and um to see if he has the same reaction. And I remember when I finished this book, he went fantastic. Well, I see you guys having a lot of fun on Instagram with your happy hours. I I enjoy living vicariously through you and Alan. We are major in love. I believe it. I told you that at the beginning of the interview. I'm, I, I, oh my God, I love. I mean, you can't fake 50 years. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's for real. It's not BS. I'm not faking it. But also... We have a drink every night. We have a tequila every night. And I say that you can probably hear some pride in my voice because why not? 
what? Am I going to be an alcoholic at this age? I, I, I only started drinking about five years ago. And uh, we don't drink anymore after the show. We don't sit and I have uh, one tequila, maybe two tequilas a night. But usually one, if you see my Baccarat yes, glass. Yes, It's a sight, everybody. I will tell you, everybody, follow yeah. Suzanne on Instagram. Yeah. You won't be disappointed. Thank you, Suzanne, so much. Thank you for coming. Your new book is called A New Way to Age, The Most Cutting Edge Advances in Anti-Aging. Mm. I really appreciate your honesty on the show, Suzanne, and really just diving into these stories with us, uh, being so transparent going behind the scenes. It's why we love you. I first came across your work in 1986 in Worcester, Massachusetts. My mom and I would sit in our living room. I was six years old and watch reruns of Three's Company. I was definitely too young to be watching the show, but I was not young enough to recognize that Chrissy was the best on the show. She was our favorite. And I'm so happy for you all these years later. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's all worked. Every choice along the way has worked in my favor because I made it work in my favor. You're in charge of your outcome. You're in charge of the, the life you are living. And envision yourself the grandest vision of the greatest version of you. And see that. And never stop until you've achieved it. I've achieved it. I am the grandest version of the greatest vision of myself. It's not an ego thing. It's I am who I am because that's who I want to be. And that's what I mean. We can choose our lives. Don't look at the negatives in life, in your life as negatives. They are your opportunity. Make every negative work for you and enjoy the life that you've chosen. Thanks so much to Suzanne for joining us. Her book again is called New Way to Age, The Most Cutting Edge Advances in Anti-Aging. Stay tuned. Wednesday, the great shows continue. We have Sophia Amoruso, who is the founder of Girl Boss, and why she recently left the company that she started. Stay tuned. I hope your day is so money. Money.